Hi, this is Corey Turner. And along with my wife, Simone, we are the senior pastors of Numa Church. I wanted to thank you for listening to our podcast today. You're about to hear a message from one of our team that we pray builds your faith and empowers you to follow Jesus more closely. Enjoy the message. I want to share with you today a message that I feel the Lord has put on my heart. And um, I pray that it blesses you. If you're feeling like you need encouragement today, if you're feeling like you're just trying to make sense of what's going on, because it's gone for a long time, I want you to be encouraged by what I feel the Lord is saying. And thank you for such beautiful worship. I mean, best worship team ever. Do you love them? They're just amazing. Just love, love Joel. I miss being on team. Looking forward to coming back super soon. So I want to share with you today what I feel the Lord said to me. I actually was praying and saying to the Lord, what do you want me to share? And I heard him very clearly say, I want you to talk about how people are a living parable. And the way the Lord works with me is I'll often get a revelation of something and then have to kind of backtrack and go, well, what does that actually mean? And so let me share with you what I feel the Lord's downloaded to me and I believe it'll encourage you. It actually encouraged me. So I wanna start our message today on Luke 18 verse one. Luke 18 verse one. This is what the scripture says. It's an unusual scripture to start with. It says this, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. And you know, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you know that Jesus spoke in parables. Uh, In fact, a third of what uh, makes up Jesus' words in the Gospels is the parables, the stories, which is quite beautiful. You know, as a creative person, I love that Jesus loved to tell stories. But what is a parable? You've probably heard that word before and wondered what it is. Well, I went to a website to have a look because I know kind of what it is, but I'm like, what is it really? So this is what one website says. It says, Jesus had the wisdom to simplify the profound spiritual truths he needed to share with humanity in the form of relatable stories that are easy to understand. And Jesus often used parables to take deeper truths and make them easier for people to digest. A parable is a tale about a simple, common subject to illustrate a deeper, valuable, moral lesson. So you take a simple story and it it delves into, it's not until you kind of get to the end of the crux of a story that you go, oh, and God's actually trying to talk about something that's much deeper and maybe harder to digest, but it's in the story that actually makes us have the revelation and the understanding of what Jesus is trying to say. And as I thought about that, I heard the Lord actually say to me, Roma, I want my people to be a living parable in this season. I want my people to be the story that points them to me. I want my people to understand that when you go through things in life, that you don't get, when you're feeling pain, when you can't make sense of the world and other people can't make sense of the world, that the parable of your life helps others make sense of things and it helps them understand who Jesus is. Now, I don't know about you, but I have never 
You know, as awful as this season has been, it has been the easiest time for me to share the gospel. I haven't been afraid to, because I'm like, what else have I got? I'm just gonna share. So I'm talking to my hairdresser a couple of weeks ago who was crying because his business is really struggling and just out of my mouth, I start to say, listen to me, God knows what's going on. He's not hiding up in the atmosphere somewhere. He is active and he is alive and he cares about your business and he loves you. And he starts crying again and totally accepts everything I'm saying. Doesn't think I'm a weirdo, you know, which is kind of common when people talk to me. So I am telling you right now, the parable of your life, who you are and how you choose to live in this season is going to reveal the deeper revelation of who Jesus is. And I'm excited about that because what actually happens when we start to understand this, it actually takes the pressure off because you don't have to be God. Stop trying to be God and just be part of the story that points to God, amen? So what would it look like to know that your story right now and in decades to come points to our beautiful Jesus? I'm excited about that. And I wanna share a story that you will know and it's kind of, I'm using it like a parable to compare it to our own lives. So I'm going backwards here. A story in scripture that you will know and let's, Let's sort of lean it against our own life right now. It's a story of Gideon. I love the story of Gideon. And I have to be honest, there's been a few times in this season that I've gone, I think I totally understand the hiding in the winepress part. Have you felt like that? I'm like, I get that. You know, for a long time I was like, why is this guy hiding in the winepress? Is he a coward? Until you actually are faced with difficult things in life yourself and you go, I actually kind of get it. I wouldn't mind hiding in a winepress every now and then, just getting away from everything else that's in the world. So I wanna share with you Gideon's story and I want you to parallel it. I'm gonna give you three points of what I felt the Lord showed me as I was reading his story. And we're gonna start in Judges 6, verse 11. And this is what it says in the NIV translation. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah and that belonged to Joash the Abia's right, I'm sure I'm saying that correctly, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I love how Gideon responds to that in verse 13. He says, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of the Midian. Maybe you've answered God like that when you've read something in the scriptures and he's talked about how we're gonna have victory in battle or to have peace in times of trouble. Has that been your response? Because that's been my response sometimes. Have you gone, hang on a minute. Like what is actually going on? Have you prayed that prayer in the last 18 months? I certainly have. Have you ever prayed, God, where are you? I just can't feel you right now. You know, let's be real. It's okay to have those moments because some of the greatest people in scripture said the very same things. And I don't know about you, but like I just said before, hiding in the wine press sometimes feels like a good idea. 
Maybe, if you're like me, if I'd be really honest, sorry to shock the people in this room, but I've gone, why don't we just get out of Melbourne? Let's move to another city. Let's move to another country. And every time God's gone, no, hold the line. Melbourne and Australia is for Jesus. But it's kind of like hiding in the wine press sometimes to run away. And so I know what Gideon felt like. I know how he must have felt in that season. And yet I'm also amazed at the story of his encounter, not only with the angel, but this, this whole idea of being in the wine press. So I wanna share with you three points prophetically from this story that I feel like are relevant to us today. The parable of his story is really affecting me right now in this season. Number one, it's time to come out of hiding. It's time to come out of hiding. When the angel visits Gideon, there he is in the wine press, and I know we've felt like that as we've talked about. He was hiding, but he wasn't actually hiding there and doing nothing. This is what I find very interesting. It actually says in the scripture that he wasn't making wine, he was actually trying to thresh the wheat. Now, I had the privilege just before lockdown of going to Israel and seeing what the threshing floor looked like and seeing what a wine press looked like. And um, when they had the threshing floor where they're threshing the wheat, they would have something called a winnowing fork and this big kind of basket. And what they would do is they would have a, the, the, the threshing floor would be in a place where the wind would gently blow and they would throw the wheat up with the winnowing fork until the lighter sort of, chaff would fly away and what was left was the heavier grain. So here is Gideon and he is in the wine press where there's probably not a lot of wind and he's threshing the wheat. Now why is he there? Well the reason he's there is because the Midianites kept stealing their food. So he's preparing food somewhere where they can't find him so that they've got something to eat, right? But threshing wheat correctly requires a slight wind. And so being in the wine press and trying to make wheat be wheat, getting rid of those lighter fibres, was probably very difficult and it probably wasn't the best form of grain. And I feel like as I read that story, the Lord actually saying, it's time to come out of hiding because the harvest is ripe. And if we are not positioned in the right place at the right time, the harvest is not going to be as bountiful as we would have hoped. You know, there is a harvest. There's a harvest if we lock ourselves down in our churches. There's a harvest. But when we stand up and go, I'm not going to be afraid, when we stand up and stop thinking just about our own personal situation and we take church to the streets, when we think about the hairdressers that are doing our hair, when we think about the person that's serving our coffee and say to the Lord, what can I say that will, be, that will make me be a living parable? We will see the harvest that we have so desired, especially if you've been a Christian a long time. And so I wanna say to you today, it's time to come out of hiding. I am seeing Jesus move in ways I've never seen him move before in this season. So I don't wanna be in the wine press threshing wheat. And you know what? I actually, when I was thinking about this story, the Lord actually said to me, Roma, everybody wants to be near the wine. 
Everybody wants to be where the new wine is, not real wine. If you don't drink, don't get mad at me. I'm actually just saying new wine often represents the Holy Spirit, the fresh move of the Holy Spirit. But it's time to come out of hiding because the harvest is ready. Point number two, the answer is him in you. The answer is him in you. If you'd been that day, there that day, and heard the conversation between the angel and Gideon, if you'd asked him, what's the problem of the day? What's actually happening right now? He would have said without a doubt, it's the Midianites. They're trying to destroy us. And when the angel said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior, what does he say? This is what he says, verse 6, verse 13. I'll read it again. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our ancestors told us when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? So it's interesting because he ignores the statement that the angel gives him. He doesn't think about the mighty warrior part. He thinks about the Lord is with you part. He thinks about the thing that is happening on the outside. He doesn't think about the angel talking about what was happening to him on the inside. He was complaining about the things that were happening around him. And so when the angel was speaking right into the core of his destiny, he missed it. He just thought about the Lord is with you part, not the mighty warrior part. So how about you? I know that I'm talking to myself at the same time, preaching to myself. Are you realising in this season, maybe the answer isn't out there? Maybe the answer is him in you. You know, we could wait until the cows come home for the right bill to pass, for the right politician to be in parliament, for all the circumstances and the things around us to be right, or we could go, Christ in me, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's in Colossians 1, verse 27. Listen to this in the Passion Translation. I love it. It's, it's, a, it's kind of like a paraphrase of Scripture, but I love what it says. It says, living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for His people and God wants everyone to know it. And so I wanna encourage you today that in you is the answer. And it might take a bit of of fleshing out to work out how that looks in your own life, but what a wonderful promise that the hope of glory lives within us. Your story, that means Your story, your parable, the living parable of who you are is this. It's one of victory in the battle. It's one of rising against impossible odds. It's one, I really believe this, that's being written in the history books of heaven, even as we speak, amen. Point number three, the new wine. Now, I didn't like it when God gave me this point, okay? I'm being honest. The new wine will squeeze you. Let's focus on Gideon right now, hiding in the wine press. And so I have this wonderful memory. I'm Italian. I know what a wine press looks like. My grandparents grew up 
making wine and they would have these big vats and they would actually jump in the vats with their feet. I know it's disgusting, but that's what we did. And we would stomp the grapes with our feet until those grapes were pressed and the juice of the grapes would come out. And I used to love I've got, it's a beautiful memory of that. And then they would pull out the, you know, when the wine was ready, you would taste it and you would have memories. Yes, even as kids, Italian kids drink wine. It's terrible, I know. But that was what it was like growing up, right? Well, I want to tell you something. That new wine, if we think of the metaphors that the scripture uses, the new wine, if we think of new wine representing revival, which is what we talk about all the time, it's gonna squeeze you. There's gonna be a pressing. And I wanna encourage you, because if you're feeling pressed right now, it's the pressing that brings the new wine. It is the pressing in. And the Lord actually said to me, like I said before, he said, Roma, everyone wants the new wine, but nobody wants to be squeezed. And I'm like, oh God, I'm so sorry. I've just prayed revival, revival, not realising God was going, well, let me squeeze you until that new wine is released. And you know what that means? It's hard to digest this idea, but the new wine is gonna cost us. It's maybe gonna make you feel more stretched than you ever have before. You might feel sometimes, God, this is too much. But you know what? It's not gonna be too much, because I'm telling you, when that new wine is released, Oh, it's just glorious. And I believe that's not something that's happening in the future. I actually believe this is happening in the church globally right now. And you know, as I started to think about this and I, I started to repent before the Lord, I started to say, Lord, I'm so sorry that I've asked for revival, not realising that you needed to squeeze me and to press me. You know what he said to me? He said, Romy, you can't assume that you're gonna come out of this season and not be scarred. You're not gonna come out unscathed. And I'm like, that doesn't sound very scriptural. What, I don't like that idea. And he started to remind me of some of the stories in scripture, you know. He started to remind me, for example, of Jacob. Jacob uh, in Genesis 32. It's an amazing story where you might know it, he encounters an angel. And he will not let the angel go until he gives him a blessing. He says, I will not let you go until you give me a blessing. And he fights with that angel all night. And finally, the angel releases a blessing to Jacob. But he also puts his finger in his side and it causes Jacob to limp for the rest of his life. Now, wouldn't you hate to have a limp for the rest of your life? But I'll tell you what it did. Every time Jacob would walk past one of the families in his tribe, every time he went to buy and sell and he limped past all the people that were watching him, they would say, there goes Jacob who was blessed. They don't remember the pain. It's a reminder of the blessing that their tribe was given. And I, I just felt like the Lord say, don't feel bad in yourself if you're coming out of this with more battle scars than you thought. It's, it's impossible for us to think that we can enter a battle and not come out unscathed. 
And as I thought about that, I got excited instead of sad because I realised it's our battle scars that make us a living parable. It's our battle scars that go, there's Roma who went through COVID and survived. You know, the battle scar means you lived, you didn't die. And that's what's gonna happen in this season. You are going to feel things maybe you've never felt before. You're gonna, maybe fear has risen up within you that you didn't expect to ever experience. But I am telling you right now, you are more than a conqueror and you're coming out and you might have a few battle scars, but every time you see them, every time you look at them, you're gonna remember that you left with the blessing of God and you came out and you lived. And you know, when I think of history, if we actually put what's happening right now in the context of history, I get really excited because there's lots of stories where things looked hard and it caused that wine to be squeezed and great things happen. You know, the underground church in Asia is a perfect example. I've got a friend who goes to Asia regularly and uh, she, was, she was telling me of this beautiful time where she was in a service and they had to sing really quietly so that the soldiers wouldn't hear them. So they were, they were in this basement and they had a window and they could see the soldiers' feet walking back and forth in the window. So because they didn't want to cause attention, they would sing their worship as a whisper and they would clap like this so that nobody could hear. And I said to my friend, what was the worship like? And they said, Roma, it was the most anointed worship I've ever been in. It was so incredible. And that squeezing, that oppression is causing one of the fastest movements of the kingdom ever, globally, than any other nation. It's pretty incredible. And so wherever we see great oppression, we do see the new wine being Pressed. The Welsh Revival is another perfect example. You know, Evan Roberts, who is one of the catalysts for the Welsh Revival, you know, he prayed for 13 years to see the Lord move powerfully in Wales, 13 years before he saw his prayers come to life. And now what's interesting, I kind of went, well, how did the Welsh Revival start? And I'm sure there's many people watching this that you've, you've studied the Welsh Revival. And I found it very interesting that the revival of 1904 uh, coincided with the rise of the labour movement, socialism, and there was a dissatisfaction with religion among the working class and the youths. There we see it, the pressing of the new wines. And you know what else I love? I, being a creative person, I actually love the story of how the Renaissance started. So the Renaissance in Europe, have a listen to this and, and try to make your own comparisons to what is happening today and it will help you to see where maybe we might be heading. So listen to this, right? So the, what started the Renaissance or what emerged or how did the Renaissance emerge? Well, it actually started when the Black Plague hit Europe in the 1300s. So what happened? The Black Plague hit Italy first and the hardest. Wow. And it meant that they needed to become more sophisticated and creative in ways to make a living. The old ways of earning an income didn't work anymore. And then once they recovered 
Once they recovered from the Black Plague in Europe, a lot of people became very wealthy because they were coming up with new and creative ways to earn an income. And that richness meant patrons were able to fund artists and commission them to create work. And that's why we have Leonardo da Vinci and Michelangelo and Caravaggio, who's one of my favourites. It was an amazing time for creatives. All you creatives are probably going, woo, this is exciting. And yes, you would be right. And then what else happened? Well, there was actually a revival in religion in the short term. Priests and monks died. They were dying because they were going to pray for the sick, right? And uh, what did they do? Well, the church had to quickly raise up new priests and monks because they needed more priests and monks. But what actually happened was they weren't being trained properly, so there became a drop in standards. So a lot of um, a lot of corruption started to enter the church, but it ended up being a good thing for the hearts of men because then what happened was this. People started to go, I've just believed what the priests and monks have told me all the time. Did God really say that in the Bible? Did God really do that in the Bible? And people started to think about the Bible and God for themselves instead of being told what it was like. And what that did, you know, people talk about the age of reason that came or the age of enlightenment that came after the Renaissance. And people consider it a bad thing because it meant that a lot of people left the church. But let me tell you something, the people that were left behind were alive to the gospel. They came alive because they became a living parable. They had their own revelation of who God was instead of waiting for somebody else else to tell them. Now, where is all this leading? I'll tell you something. I actually think that something very similar is happening in our nation right now. I actually think we are coming into a reset renaissance of our own. And you know, everyone talks about these words being thrown around like global reset. I'm like, you know what? What the enemy intended for evil, the Lord is going to turn to good. And there is a reset renaissance of the church that is coming to the house and to the body of Christ that is going to make us come alive. I have loved who we've been as a church globally. There's, I don't look, look at what's been and go, that was terrible, but I am so excited about what the Lord is about to do. I feel like if you've had a nominal faith and you're watching this right now, if you've asked the questions like Gideon has asked, did God really say those things? Where are the stories? I am telling you, you're about to experience him for yourself in ways that you never expected. And I am so excited about that. So be encouraged. You know, I just love that um, this season, as hard as it's been, that wine is coming. What can you do in this season? You might be saying, well, this is all great, but what does it mean? Well, let me just share what I'm personally doing, all right? So these are some simple things that I do. I try to release peace and life through my own creative expression. I can't sew, like I told you before, but I can sing, I can write, I can, um, you know, I love to cook, I love house design. So I have been throwing my energies into doing that around people in a way that represents Christ. And it's really helped me to enjoy the season. I pray, I, I don't think I've ever prayed more than I have ever in the history. I reckon I've prayed more in two years than I have in my whole 21 years of living. 
Okay, all right, let's keep going. <laughs> um, I spend time thinking of others and how I can serve them. I take my mind off myself. So my hairdresser friend who I love, you know, whenever anyone comes into my home, like we've had a, a couple of workers in our home and uh, a few times I've just said, Lord, how can I minister prophetically to this person? So just before the last lockdown we had, we had somebody um, doing some work, some plumbing work in our bathroom was a young guy and he had all these tattoos and he was in our kitchen writing the invoice and I'm just like, Lord, how can I bless this guy? So you know what I did? You're going to think I'm a crazy person, but I was like, this is a good way to enter the conversation. I started prophesying over his tattoos. So I started to go, I reckon you got that tattoo because someone died in your family and that you've used that as, and he's his eyes just drop, right? He's like, how did you know this? And I so it opened this door and I started to talk to him and he told me how he'd grown up in the Greek church and he'd never really had a faith for himself and he didn't know what he thought about God. And I started to share with him how much the Lord loved him and he started saying, I feel really funny in my legs. Why do my legs feel weird? I feel like something's happening in my body. And I was able to say to him, this is Jesus and he loves you. He's actually, you're experiencing the anointing of God in your life. And as as he was leaving, a few days later, he'd finished the job. We were outside talking and he actually said to me, he had a young family and he said to me, he goes, I, I love what I do, Roma, but it's really hard work. I spend hours away from my family working. I'd love to come up with an idea where I think of some other way to earn income, which means I could spend more time with my family. Now, being Italian, very animated, and I, the way that I hear from the Lord is I see in pictures. So, I start to see this prophetic vision of this guy. So he's telling me this, and as he's talking, I'm not exaggerating, I go like this, I go, <gasps> like that, right? And he goes, what? And I said, okay, this is really weird, but I just had a vision of you while you were talking to me. And he goes, okay. And I said, I saw you sitting at the computer making T-shirts and you had all these designs and they're going to do really well. God is saying, get into making these T-shirts, he starts freaking out. He's like, how do you know this? How do you know this? He pulls out his phone and he shows me all these designs of T-shirts that he's been making and he just does it for fun on the side. And I was able to use that moment to actually say, you know what? God actually cares for you and he's listening and he's watching. And I believe that that's what a living parable is meant to look like. Now, it doesn't have to be as fantastic as that. Look, if I be honest with you, look, I've made lots of mistakes, but I'd rather step out and be wrong than never step out and be right. I'd rather people have at least a glimpse or a chance of experiencing Jesus than me worrying about my reputation. I'm just beyond caring anymore now. I don't care if I make a fool of myself because I know how wonderful it is to live with Christ in me, the hope of glory. I want everybody to have that experience as well. Now, because we're talking about being a living parable, I want to end in a few more minutes. I want to share this beautiful Jewish parable that I heard this week that actually made me cry, that really relates to what we're talking about right now. And it's called The King's Friend. And the story goes like this. It's about this king who uh, was a Gentile king and he was a very good friend with the rabbi over the land that he was king. And they would often meet together and even though he didn't believe in God, the rabbi would share stories of creation and would share his stories of um, God and who God was and the king would listen intently. And they had a friendship for many, many years. And One day the king said to him, let's go hunting. 
And the rabbi said, look, I'm not much of a hunter, but I'll come with you. We'll go hunting. We'll see how it goes. And so they go into the forest. And as the king is showing him how to use the gun, the rabbi's holding it in his hand and he accidentally shoots it and accidentally shoots the king's finger. And because of that, the king loses a finger. The king becomes furious. He says, you are horrible. How could you do this to me? You're such a terrible man. And the rabbi's trying to apologise and say it's a mistake. The king will not hear a bar of it, right? So he says, you are going to prison. You're going to jail for the rest of your life. And he locks up this rabbi and thinks that he'll never see him again. And many years go past and the rabbi every now and then would think about uh, the, the king would often think about the rabbi and wonder how he was going and did become a little lonely, missed his friendship, but still was angry that he'd lost a finger. And so he goes, decides to go on another hunting trip to an area where his subject said to him, do not go there, it's very dangerous, you'll be captured, probably by cannibals. But he goes, no, I'm going to go, I'll be fine. So he goes into this part of the woods and he gets caught by cannibals and they're tying him up and they're ready to do whatever they want to do, and they see his hand, and they see that the finger is missing. And they go, this is a bad omen. This person is not perfect. Let's just let him go. So they untie him, and they let the king go. And as the king's going home, he says to himself, wow, now I'm starting to see that if I hadn't had a finger missing, I would have died today. So he goes straight back to the palace, he goes straight back to the jail, to the rabbi, and he says, Rabbi, I've missed you and I'm so sorry that I've locked you up all these years. This is what's happened. I got caught by these cannibals, but when they saw my finger, they let me go. And it was actually turned out to be very good luck. And the rabbi said, well, king, it's good luck for both of us because if I hadn't shot you and you'd lost a finger, we would have both been there and we both would have died. And the moral of the story, the king said, what do you think this means? And the rabbi said, sometimes the very thing you think is the worst thing that could possibly happen to you ends up being the thing that saves your life. And I, I'm emotional when I say that because I feel like that's the season we're in right now. This thing that was meant to destroy us is the very thing that is going to make us rise. It's the very thing that's going to cause revival. It's the very thing that is going to release the new wine. And so my challenge to you today, my friends, is will you be like Gideon? Will you be the living parable? Will you accept, yes, things are hard, you don't have to be super spiritual. You don't have to go, oh, God, he's good all the time. We know that he's good all the time. But it's okay if you've got some battle scars because it means you won. It means the war is being won. Let me end with one of the parables Jesus shares in the book of Matthew, which is so beautiful. You know, Madeline Lengel, who's an amazing author, she said this, and I think it's so true. She said, Jesus was not a theologian. He was God who told stories. Such a beautiful way to imagine Jesus that his theology was wrapped up in the parables and the stories in the, in the Gospels. And this is one of his parables, Matthew 5, verses 14 and 16. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, 
bringing out the God colours of the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.